one of the coolest things, I mean, I, I like to say I have the coolest job in the world, right? And, and I used to get to jump out of airplanes and shoot guns and blow stuff up, but now I, I get to I get to interact with people from around the world. And, and never in my wildest dreams, Chris, did I ever imagine I'd receive an email from a guy who teaches drums as, as a structure of life, man. I mean, that's just cool to me. those times in your life where stress is overwhelming you, where the, the environment is beating you down, if you don't have a team to turn to, if you don't have an idea of where to fall back, who to gain strength from, if you're a lone ranger off on your own doing your own thing, there's no way you can succeed, period. So in order for me to share with you what the team life is all about to us, I'm going to share with you what the standard is for us. The standard by which we operate. The standard by which we live. You can do things that you wouldn't even imagine you can do. Trust me, I've seen it. I've propelled people to do things they never thought were, were possible. I'll tell you what, Chris, what I really enjoy about it is, you know, I mean, life is about rhythm. Right. And, and, you know, when you talk, you get it down to the molecular level in terms of the frequency of our molecules and how they bang around each other. And then as well as the, the rhythms we feel from biometrically, from heartbeats to uh, everything internally. And then when you when you reach out and you start to have those rhythms of, of how you work with different people, I mean, you're spot on. man. after watching your stuff, I think you're. You're so in tune with with you know what you're going for that it's it's you're you're there, man. I think just you know the more people you can introduce to picking up on those rhythms, then you know I mean people will really start to see how you know the the function of their um, their profession or their passion, which in your case is drums, really parlays itself into all other aspects of your life. So you're you're spot on, brother. I hit that point when I decided to, to take the frog logic and, and move away from kids and, and build it out for adults too as well because just the ideas seem you know so applicable to everybody's lives that when I wrote it I was actually contracting overseas so I'd I'd work a full day as a security specialist you know and we'd do a lot of stuff at night and I'd get home at like three or four in the morning and I'd break out my, my MacBook and I just start, you know, gorilla gripping those keys and, and it took me it took me about ah oh, geez, it took me about four deployments to, to knock that book out. But uh eventually it, it, it got to got to where we wanted it. But uh it was it was definitely a lot of fun. And I'm actually in the process of writing my second one for adults, uh which will be about living the team life. So Beautiful. That's yeah. fantastic. Well yeah and, and uh part of what I do I I'm sure you saw it on my, my uh, website, it's called Life Through Rhythm, LTR, and that means a lot of the concepts that we learn in any area, we can apply it to our drumming, and so we're becoming, you know, using these qualities to become better people and applying it to our drums, and then also through that, working on those qualities and becoming better people at the same time. So a lot of the concepts of what you're teaching in Frog Logic I wanted to share that with as many students as I could. I'll tell you what, Chris, what I really enjoy 
about it is, you know, I mean, life is about rhythm, right? And, and you know, when you talk, you get it down to the molecular level in terms of the frequency of our molecules and how they bang around each other, and then as well as the, the rhythms we feel from biometrically, from heartbeats to uh, everything internally. And then when you, when you reach out and you start to have those rhythms of, of how you work with different people, I mean, you're spot on, man. After watching your stuff, I think you're you're so in tune with with you know what you're going for that it's it's you're you're there, man. I think just you know the more people you can introduce to picking up on those rhythms, then you know I mean people will really start to see how you know the the function of their um, their profession or their passion, which in your case is drums, really parlays itself into all other aspects of your life. So you're you're spot on, brother. Thank you, David. That means a lot, and uh, I think, you know, uh, I have so much respect for what you've done in the SEALs and the service you've done, so thank you for that. Uh, oh, you're welcome. And uh, what the SEALs, you know, worldwide are doing, and uh, I think there's, you know, no other warriors on, on the planet that would, you know, reach the level of the SEALs, I think, and I think we can learn so much from what uh well i got i i got some green beret buddies and ranger buddies that would just be laughing right now and say seals they're all hollywood (laughs) (laughs) so no i appreciate that we we definitely you know it's kind of funny as our evolution really you know prior to 9-11 we were an organization that was kind of really locked in transition since Oh, man, really since the Vietnam days where we, you know, were born, really, in terms of modern-day counterinsurgency. And we had a couple flare-ups. You know, we had Somalia and, and Panama, and, but nothing of any significance. And then, you know, after 9-11 in the last 16 years, we've gone through a pretty dramatic transformation um, where we really have moved into that space where we can we can legitimately say hey yeah we're one of the best units um that exists and and you know and i think one of the best units that's that's ever existed you know i'm a big historical nut and 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 part of what frog logic came out of was just my desire to try and figure out what are the real motivating factors behind the human condition you know what what allows us to step into the combat of life, so to speak, with a you know open heart and focused manner, and, and just willing to take on all these different types of risks, with knowing that we're going to take a beating, that negative insurgency is just going to start just pummeling the snot out of us on a regular basis. What are the things that kind of help us endure that? And yes. and the the team has has taken these ideas that were. You know, I mean, from Spartans to Samurai to Vikings to the Mongols to, you know, I mean, just tons of these amazing crusaders, you name it, these small unit groups that just got so entrenched into their focus of of waging a comprehensive war against whoever they were up against, that there was a transformation that happened in all these, and that's why they become legendary, so to speak. And, And I think, you know, watching my unit over the last 16 years and where we've gone, a lot of that has, has come to fruition in our own status. And, and where, you know, you look at a, a movie like American Sniper and the story of Chris and Chris Kyle, you know, Chris Kyle, and where you look at Marcus and his story of Lone Survivor. And 
and why has you know the world gravitated toward these stories? And, it, and I think it all boils down to that willingness to sacrifice, that willingness to to put put all you have into the people around you so that you can accomplish whatever mission you know is is the mission of the, the team. Absolutely, I, I want to talk really about having a great team around you. Because, you know, whether as musicians or anything we do in life, it's really, your, you know, as you, as you teach as well, you're as good as the team around you. But, you know, when, when, we're, when you're following a life of what you're passionate about and you're really going for it in, a, in any pursuit, you're going to come up against so many, you know, different challenges. And the biggest enemy, I think, is ourselves and the, the challenges that we have ourselves. And I think you'd said in the in, in your book that what's the biggest challenge of buds? And I think I think the answer was whatever you most fear that is within you, that is going to be for yourself what you have to face. Absolutely. And fear. What's What's funny is as Frog Logic has evolved, you know, it's really evolved out of necessity or or the inquiry that's coming out from external sources as I try and serve others through this message of frog logic and you know which really condenses down you know into these core tenets that I learned in the teens and and also our history as well too but you know as as it evolved I, I started to really see these 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 deep questions that people would approach me you know were you afraid what was the scariest thing you ever faced what's it like you know, getting shot at all these these ideas of 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 fear and, and the the magnitude of its its inhibitive effects, right? It, it made me go and, and research fear, just start going down this and try and discover, all right, why why does fear play such a massive role? And and after almost two full years of researching it a few years ago, I, I hit that point where I was like pulling my hair out. I'm like, ah! I'm like, this is horrible because it's. It's that onion that never stops giving to you, right? It's like it would be like you know trying to learn the hardest uh, jazz song that's ever been written, right? Or 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 what you know, it's something of that magnitude where the it just as you dig in, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Well, that's fear for us, especially because you know one you you've been wired for it, right? Your limbic system in your brain, and most importantly the amygdala. Uh, that fires off, that's protected the human species since, you know, for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, you, you know, you combine that with the fact that from a behavioral perspective, you've been taught fear your whole life. I mean, from the time you're a child, right, you're like, you know, I, I've, you know I've got these two little girls. I've got a five-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, and every day I'm like, no, don't run across the street, and no, don't do this, and, you know, always project, you know, teaching fear, and, you know, and, and the same is true, you know, in, in what I do for a living, I, I teach people to be very, uh, you know, to be very reticent of fear, to acknowledge their fear, and to be, you know, to incorporate, because what I've, what I've discovered is all those ideas that you can defeat fear, and you can smash fear, or you can be fearless, it's all a myth, and I was never once able to find any component in history, no matter whether it was, you know, religious doctrine or it was philosophical or it was any. I never could once find any group or person or anything that literally was fearless, that didn't have fear, that weren't susceptible to their fears. So you think about it and what a role it plays and has played in our lives. 
and currently plays, and you go, well, geez, if I can't get rid of it from a behavioral perspective because it's so ingrained and I can't get rid of it from a physiological perspective unless I get a little ice cream scooper and scoop the amygdala out, right? I have to deal with fear, period. And so the, the challenge becomes how do you deal with it? So within the teams, what I did is I, I, I broke down in, in our training regimen, you know, every single day you go to training, which is basic underwater demolition SEAL school. It's a seven-month school that is considered one of the hardest military training programs in the world. And every single day you show up is a day that they literally um, physically place you in fear, mentally you know, uh, just barrage you with fear uh, and spiritually kind of test your, your ability to deal with fear in, in, in really dramatic situations, whether you're having to do underwater knot tying or, or go through hell week or, you know, you know, have to do five and a half nautical mile ocean swims and freezing cold water and whatever it is, you've got to deal with it because that's what's in front of you. That's if you want to become a part of the elite, you have to learn to take those fears every single day, wrap your arms around them. And you, you, you have these things and these, these fears are always presenting themselves. And, and when you start to really ask yourself serious questions and what am I truly afraid of? And this is part of my whole thing with embracing fear. You know, mission one is search for the truth of what your fear is. And so step one in that is literally list every single one of your fears, past, present, and future. And now this is down as, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid of ghosts or, you know, what spiders freak me out. But more importantly, I'm afraid to get personal in a relationship. I'm, a, I'm afraid to actually try my, my skills against better people. And then once you start to flush this thing out and you see this, this giant spider web of fear that's, that's just kind of repressing your momentum, man, now at least you have – there's an identity – it because one of the craziest things about what we do in the human condition is we experience something that generates fear and we immediately compartmentalize it and we not all the time do we actually know conscientiously we're doing it the way our minds work with traumatic events and i you know i've, I've been studying post-traumatic syndrome for you know since i was diagnosed with it a long time ago and really kind of get down well you know you go through this traumatic event all of a sudden you know, whether it's a car accident, a loved one dies, you get sick, somebody, you know, beats you up, whatever it may be, you know, that's impl implanted in, into your synapses, right, into your storage, your memory. But we don't have any idea where it particularly stores because it diffuses now. They've realized that it just, the memory breaks into like a million pieces and stores into the hundred million neurons you have. And so, and there's no... There's no set component of how Dan's going to recall or Chris is going to recall or that trauma is going to come back. So that's this massive confusing thing. So what we've been able to recognize that, hey, through something called stress inoculation or what I call learning to embrace your fears, you can get to a point where they're tolerable. And, and that's a critical aspect of any, any part of your purpose, right? Because when you initiate purpose in life and you're going after, whether it's to be the best drummer that's ever lived or it's to be the best person that ever lived or it's starting a charity or it's helping poor people, I don't care what it is, being a Navy SEAL, your fear's there and it's going to be there. The question is how are you going to use that fear to perpetuate even further 
into those those really you know negative moments that are coming your way no matter what. What's some of your best strategies that that you found for uh, for using fear as a tool to propel? So really, for me, is like. You know, I, I get that feeling, right? Something hits me, whether it's a, a big client, right? Maybe I get a Fortune 50 company that approaches me, and and I'm going to be in front of 800 people, and you know, it's in New York City, and you know, it's a bunch of you know high rollers, and you know, people that are you know personal friends with Tony Robbins and all that nonsense, right? I'm like, you know, and and you can see how easily if you if you allow you know the details or your perception of those details to to so easily contort your your you know your perception of of the challenge all of a sudden next thing you know that negative speak is just firing in your brain and i call that the negative insurgency right it's just attacking you and so that what i do is i immediately say far out yeah fortune 50 company awesome man absolutely Oh yeah, you're best friends with Tony. Let me show you how I'm gonna kick Tony's butt, right? And let me show you how I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you something Tony can't even fathom because Tony was never a SEAL, right? So I, you know, I take those huge challenges and I flip them over on, on like almost like a jujitsu move, right? I don't know if you guys have ever done jujitsu or Brazilian jitsu or anything. It's one of the greatest things in the world because it requires a very sophisticated physical mental mindset. And it's not about, you know, hitting somebody as hard as you can like MMA or, or, or punching or something like that. But it's it's using, you know, the other person's impatience or using their weight against them. And it's setting them up for the ultimate move that's five moves down, right? The great jiu-jitsu artists call, you know, they call it chess for the martial arts. And so, you know, I've just done it so many times from flipping that negative to a positive. Now it's just second nature for me. I don't. I don't allow myself the time to, you know, to invest any significant time to allow those fears, you know, those, those little fear triggers to, to build. And that's the biggest way to do it. And it's as it's, it's simple as, as all of a sudden your, your negative speak starts firing, right? And you're like, I can't do that. You, you have to have some trigger, some motivational trigger that you can pull immediately that just stops. And whether it's a motto whether it's a phone call to your your swim buddy, whether it's uh, a tattoo. I mean, I got truckload of tattoo, man. If I get real in bad place, I just check out, you know, one of my tattoos, and I'm like, boom, that gets me right back in a, in a positive mind frame. So it, it becomes that conscientious battle against the negative insurgency, and that that's just the, that's the biggest one right there. Yeah, as we're as we're going for pursuing our passions in, in drumming. I find that two things that really are crippling are one is like negative self-talk and, and, and negative, I love that, what you call it, the self-insurgency. The negative insurgency, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and the other one is breathing, kind of sh shallow breathing. Is that a tool that you, that you use as well? So I'm just getting into this. This is kind of wild that you brought this up. So, you know, about... So right now I'm, I'm doing a ton of research on my next, the next part of, of Frog Logic, which will be about culture and the culture of team and the power of that and, and how to develop great culture within your team. And and as I'm going through that and uh, in, in studying cultures and how cultures integrate in different ways, you know, I found, came across this great study from, what was it? It was uh, uh, 
University of Chicago and then Harvard or University of Pennsylvania, their, their psychology departments were, were fused together. They studied 137 Buddhist monks over the last 10 years. And they would put them together in these situations where they would meditate with one another. And, you know, meditation is all about breathing in the conscious mind and all this. And, and there's three different types of meditation they would study. And they found that these guys would literally perform better on every category they were tested with after this meditative state. And, you know, you, 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 begin, you can't deny that data, right? You know, some things about science you just can't deny, right? When you play the wrong note or the wrong beat, you can't deny that that's the wrong beat, man. And, and, and it's just, it is what it is. It's so in your face. And so when you read, when I read this data, I'm like, holy cow, there's really something more to it. So I started meditating, right? And I try and do it for five minutes either in the morning or midday or at night before I go to bed. Mm. And I combined that. So I got into this whole ritual. And then one of my close friends, one of my best friends who's still active duty, who just left SEAL Team 6 after five years, He's got, you know, he's got four deployments there, four combat deployments at SEAL Team 6, and he spent 10 years at Team 1, and he has five combat deployments there. So 16 straight years, nine combat deployments this guy had. So he, I started sharing with him about these ideas, and, he, and he's just shaking his head. He's like, uh, he's like, well, you know, we do this all the time. I mean, we do it. We do it. We do active meditation while we're hitting targets. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, how is that even possible? I mean, I thought it, it, you had to be in a restive state. I thought you had to, as you're, as you're calling upon that kind of calm energy in your system to get those biorhythms in check, to get those, you know, your thoughts in line, and to, or at least to, to, to free yourself from those external fears and pressure. I go, how can you be, how can you be slapping on a two-pound, you know, demo charge on a door breaching a door and shooting bad guys and be in an active and meditative state. Wow. And they said it's because of the, the, the work we do prior to going in. So these guys would literally, they'll get jocked up, fully kitted up, all their stuff, you know, uh, 125 extra pounds of weight with all their bulletproof vests, their helmets, their guns, their lights, their night vision, all this stuff, their radios, their med packs. And they'll sit, or, they'll get around and they'll literally just, they'll have a meditative time together where they'll just all be thinking about the, the, the schedule of the op, right, the, the timeline. And, and these things are down to, you know, as, as, as focused as you could ever imagine, right? Everything is, is pinpoint. And they'll go through the op, and then, like, they'll open their eyes, they'll jump on board that helicopter, and they'll go insert, and they'll hit that target. And then they'll come out, and then, you know, afterwards, they'll have a debrief, and they'll be like, all right, so, you know, what went down? And they'll talk about this whole this whole thing where you know they'll they'll communicate without talking most of the op they'll they'll push energy at one another in different ways and and I started you know listening to this and this combined with my, the research I've done about you know Buddhist monks fighting back in the old days how you doing ma'am <laughs> and, and and about you know how you think about uh, Vikings would would get in these teeny little 15-foot boats and sail across the North Atlantic in the middle of winter in 40-foot seas, and they were just like, whatever. You know, how do they not? not? So I'm, now this, I'm processing this stuff from the cultural aspect of meditation and breathing and all that, and I'm going, holy cow. 
And then just re so just a few weeks ago, I, I helped pace one of my best friends for the teams. He ran a, a race called the Leadville 100, which is a 100-mile ultra marathon through the Colorado Rockies, and I paced wow. him for about 30 miles in it. And, and what, like, right prior to we got together for our first little training session out in Colorado a couple weeks before, he sent me this link to this guy called Wilm Hoff. They call him the Iceman. And he's got these breathing techniques where he literally controls, you know, his entire biorhythm. I mean, he controls heart rate, controls digestive system, controls uh, temperature of his hypothalamus. I mean, this guy's so off the charts. He, he he tried to summit Mount Everest wearing a pair of shorts and hiking boots. He, he walked across the Sahara with no water. He swims under ice caps in just a pair of shorts for like 300 meters and he's just and it's it's all these breathing techniques and he says that he proves hmm. that it's just science so going back to what you're talking about chris breathing is an essential part for being able to endure or capture or you or embrace your fears in a way right because what happens as soon as fear initiates your your physiological response pulse rate goes up palms get sweaty uh you know Blood dumps into your quads. It, 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 you know, it moves away from your your uh, digestive tract. Tries to go to your trunk. All these major things happen. So, you know, in order to get back in, in line, breathing is the only way to reset yourself. So, absolutely, breathing is a critical aspect of dealing with fear on, on a big level. Well, one thing that drummers love is getting into the zone, and the zone, of course, goes from tennis players to you know what's what what you guys do to to artists to a, you know any kind of thing, and we try to get rid of tension in what we do, and breathing is a big part of that. But do you have any kind of advice for even yourself being in the zone, experiences you've had, or absolutely? So the zone is is this you know this phenomenon that we all experience, right? And it's where we we release ourselves of of all residual effects or, or hindrance, right? And and one of the greatest zone performers of all time, Michael Jordan, right? And he would literally talk about how everybody on the court was going in slow motion, and, and, you know? Or you talk about, uh, I, I know guys in the teams who who just feel it, like they, they get in there, they twit, they turn a switch, and they just see everything that's going on on the battlefield. They know where the five stacks of aircraft are. They know how many how many rooms you've penetrated in. They know how many hostages we you know we've rescued or and they just see everything and they consume it. And and so those those moments are for most people few and far be, between because what it does is it requires an incredible commitment of training, right? You have to literally pound those skins until you can't feel your hands. You have to pound those skins until your arms feel like they're going to fall off. There's no other way to get there, period. And we've proven this over and over and over again in, in our whole training regimen, right? We, we will, you know, when you look at Hell Week, right? Hell Week is our ultra evolution where you start on a Sunday afternoon, you go live with breakout, and you don't stop until Friday afternoon. Now, you have to understand this. 
most people out there have stayed up. Uh, have who? Let me ask all of you. Out of all of you listening right now, how many of you have stayed up for 24 hours? Give me, give me a little hand. All right, now keep your hands up. All right, ready? 44 hours. 54 hours. 64 hours. 74 hours. 84 hours. 94 hours. So we stay up for 94 straight hours, getting pummeled, right? Getting beat with the boats on our heads, the logs over our brains, the instructors messing with us, thousands of push-ups. We burn 9,000 calories a day. We, in that week alone, we run 200 plus miles. We, you know, the boats are on our head so often that like you'll get a bald spot and you're bleeding from your head. You know, we swim in the, we're in submerged in the water getting surf tortured. I mean, this is one of the craziest things you've ever imagined. So, you know, you can imagine the neurological dysfunction that's happening once, you know, average person starts at seat depth by, you know, 20 hours, it gets severe for most people by 34 hours, by 40 hours, most people are just like, you know, they can't even function anymore. Now you fast forward that, uh, you know, 50 hours and, and you've got some, some real cognitive disassociation happening. But what's nice is they, they, the whole theory is that once you make it over, over Wednesday of hell week, um, you get into almost a, I don't want to call it a catatonic state because you still respond to, to the direction and, and you can do st still do tasks, but it, it's it's a robotic state for sure where you just you're just people are telling you what to do and you just do it and like hey go over there and do pu five push-ups you just walk over you do five but hey go over there and eat food you just eat food and so you think about it that's the ultimate zone right where you've uh, you've worn away all the pre-existing I can'ts or I don't know or unknown or limitations or all those things. And so when you back up and you say, wow, well, well, geez, imagine I had to push myself 75 hours before I could unlock that freely and just not have anything, you know, stopping me. And, and, and for, for me and my theory is, is that we all have these submission points and if you want to become really a master or great at anything, forget that whole 10,000-hour thing. Forget all that nonsense or whatever. Just blow that all off. It's all ridiculous. Because, listen, I, I've spent way more than 10,000 hours, hours shooting a gun, and every time I go to the range, i got to do the same thing to get warmed up. Otherwise, my accuracy stinks. It's period. That's what it is. And the same thing is for you. You got I mean, Chris... I bet you've got 50,000 hours playing drums since age eight, right? Maybe even more. Maybe maybe 200,000 hours. Who knows, right? But you still have to go through and practice, man. The vision of this podcast is to spend time with some of the absolute best in the world so we can unleash our best selves through drumming and life. And as you know, LTR is life through rhythm an attitude and a lifestyle where we become 1% better every day, unleashing confidence behind the kit and in everything we do. So if you'd like to join a community of drummers that will bring you to a higher version of yourself, get some free resources and just connect with the community and go deeper on this learning, join me at chrislesso.net slash LTR. chrislesso.net slash LTR. I want to meet you. I want to hear about your goals and vision and how we can get there together. Let's become our best selves through drumming.
you still have to go through and practice, man. Right? So when you think about that in, in the context of the zone, right, it's about submission. And people that can operate in the zone, they submit to the, the environment they're in. They submit to that moment, to that, to the to the influences that are happening to that's their direct feed. They get out of their way of their own negative thoughts. They get out of their way of their fears. They push all that stuff aside, and they just let the environment feed them, and they re, and they respond. Now, when you get really good is when you dictate the environment, and you're dictating the rhythm of the environment you're engaged in. That's why musical instruments are so phenomenal, because you see people are able to do that, right? What's one of the great, for me, one of the greatest musicians that, the first person that really transformed me from a musical perspective was Jimi Hendrix, right? And and when you hear Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock and you hear that that stretch where he goes from the Star Spangled Banner all the way through Purple Haze and then he gets into just Machine Gun and then he just lets go, literally it's funny because he's got a, what, a, a Buddy Guy on jumps right behind him. I think it was Buddy Guy playing. And Buddy just stops playing because and if you look at the footage he's just like this he's just mesmerized by this guy and you're just like my god same thing with beethoven right same thing with these masters of of their particular instrument you watch them and it's as if nothing's around them like everything's gone everything's faded away because they've submitted to the moment of that of of, of that energy that's essential to be in the zone you you have Anytime you pull anything external into your operational space, it's going to be a distraction. And most especially if you pull the distraction from what you're bringing into the space, like, uh, you know, Native Americans, give you a perfect example, right? I'm, I'm, I'm getting real into doing sweats with uh, some friends of mine that are Native Americans and just kind of the cleansing and getting into that space of being in that, that sweat lodge. It's a really cool environment. If you ever get the opportunity, I highly recommend it. Because um, it's a real zone in there. Um, but one of the things they talk about doing is, is medicine men or the, the elders of the tribe or whatever, they'll meet with somebody or, or have a sweat or whatever. And then after, they'll do this thing. It's called smudging. And they'll take, uh, you know, different types of uh, um, uh, whatever. Uh, um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Um, like some kind of herb for, or, or a tree or something like that from, from uh, nature. And they'll, they'll light it, and they'll literally, like, smudge off the negative energy off them. Like, they'll be so conscientious to see that, hey, there's, there's, a, there's a whole energy space or a whole environment that's around us that they're, they're pu- they push it off with this, this stuff. And, and you start to see that, and you go, man, that's a little weird for me, right? That's a little cuckoo. I don't know if I'm all about smudging. But then all of a sudden, you see what these people are capable of doing, Right. And you hear the stories of, of, of Indian runners or riders that would ride, you know, on a horse for, for 30 straight days. And, and I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with horse riding or any have ridden a horse, but being on a horse for like three hours drives me nuts, man. I'm about ready to kill myself after that, right? So you imagine these feats, and they're in that space, right, where they're, they become the message or they become whatever the environment they're in. So that's essential. Well, one huge challenge for us as drummers and us as people, I think we live in the age of dramatic distraction, <laughs> is focus. And maybe you could, I mean, for what you do, I think, you know, from, 
frontline frontline focus, you got to have the maybe the ultimate focus. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And focus. Let me let me tell you what. Out of out of all the things that are encompassed in performance, focus is number one by far. It really is a, a tool that becomes. Um, it's it's quite difficult to even kind of put it in to quantify the the necessity of focus, especially because in our world, if I'm not focused on my front sight, and I and I and I miss the guy I need to shoot, and he shoots me, it's over, right? There are no second chances. There are no timeouts. And so your focus is is really, in in a literal sense, in a figurative sense, in a a spiritual, whatever sense you want to put it in the context, you have to have it. Now, the key is trying to understand, well, how do you develop your focus? Now, there's one guy out there that, um, there's actually a guy, a book I read uh, by this psychologist from Florida State. He wrote a book called Willpower, and he talks about willpower because willpower is a, a contingent of, of focus, right? And, and you can only go for a certain period of time before that willpower fades. So that's, in essence, a, 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 a remedy or a, 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 an offshoot of focus. Um, but he interviews this guy, David Blaine. Are you guys familiar with David Blaine, the magician guy who will climb in a block of ice for 167 hours? I mean, that's madness to, to me. Well, one of the things he talks about that I found just fascinating, and, and I'll relate it to our world after this, is so what's interesting about David is like leading up to these events, he'll develop this hyper focus, right? And so in particular, let's say um, he makes his cereal every morning. He literally put like will place the bowl in the exact same spot. He'll turn the bowl counterclockwise. He'll pull the, he'll fill a, a, a measuring cup with the exact amount of milk per the exact ratio of cereal he puts in during the exact, let's say it's Cheerios. He has 25 Cheerios in the bowl and that's it every day. And he counts them out and he puts them in, right? When he puts it back, he washes the bowl in the same way. He hangs it on the same rack. When he goes for runs around Central Park, there are the little handicapped guys painted on the sidewalk on the running path. He will step on the, the, the head of that guy, placing his left foot on the top right quarter of the head, of the painted head, every single time he comes up on one of those for as many miles as he runs. Right? So you start going, my God. That's crazy, right? That's crazy talk. That's OCD stuff. That's 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 like, hey, we got to put this guy in a straitjacket, but but it's really not. It, it's 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 focus, and it's putting his brain, it's setting his brain up for that monotony that drives most people to madness, or that drives most people to fatigue or quitting, because the essence of perfection, right, or the pursuit of perfection is repetition. So as a drummer. Think about this, right? You've got a piece that you want to play to perfection. And and perfection in, in music, I believe, is kind of a relative term. It's a mostly what your ear hear as it relates to whether you're playing a solo or, or with a band. It really is unique, right? I, like That's why I, when you ever heard Jimi Hendrix play in a kind of a, a house band or a group band, he didn't sound very good, right? He needed to be by himself with the supporting musician specifically for his style. So dependent upon what you what your focus is and what your objective, your mission per se, whatever song you're learning, all right, 
you have to literally think about each note in its greatest detail. Literally, how far up your arm has to hit, the exact pressure you can replicate for each note based on where you're going to hit your snare or your top hat, or how, how much pressure, what shoe you're going to wear, what shoe gives you the best hit on your bass drum, you know, where you sit, how high, uh, the clothing you wear. I mean, you want to go down to that, that pursuit of perfection and focus. Don't, don't think that there's any such detail that's left unturned, right? One of the greatest examples of that from, from an art perspective, because I was an art major in college, and so, and, and I was a minor in poetry, and, and one of the great, my favorite like, people out there is, is Jackson Pollock, right? And if you ever see any old video of Jackson Pollock painting, it's one of the most fascinating things you've ever seen, because, you know, when you first look at a Pollock painting, you're like, what, that dude just splashed paint all over the thing. But then when you watch this guy paint, and he's over his canvas, and he, he, he literally gets into this rhythm and watching, and he's picking the colors, and he knows exactly where he wants it. And you watch, and he'll sit there, and he'll go back and forth, and he'll create a space, you know, of, of, of you know, five different colors that goes back, and he'll just sit there, and he'll sit there, and you'll see him in that rhythm, and he'll just hit that perfection, and then you'll see him move to another thing. So it really, focus comes down to the ultimate details of your life. Now, in our world, it's literally repetition. You will do it over and over and over. I've pulled the trigger over a million times, right? And I've pulled the trigger at three feet, at six feet, at nine feet, at 12 feet, at 15 feet, at 20 feet, at 25 feet. That's with a pistol. Now you give me a long gun, and I'm going to do it the same thing all the way back to 400 meters. And and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it standing. I'm going to do it kneeling. I'm going to do it sitting. I'm going to do it in a prone. I'm going to do it with cameo. I'm going to do it at night. I'm going to do it at, at, in the evening. I'm going to do it. And it just becomes that repetition. So as now, all of a sudden, I, I have such a focus on the basics, right? I know exactly what my trigger feels, where the break, the, the, the recoil of the weapon system, where my sights need to be, where I need to hold based at different distances. And you could put me upside down hanging out of a truck, and I'm still going to be able to hone in and replicate that perfection in a meaningful, focused manner. Now, all of a sudden, you gain control of that external environment, which typically can, can shift your or distract your focus. So for you guys, big I would imagine a big thing would be fatigue, right? Because drums is the most you know, is the most taxing instrument that's ever been created. I mean, you know, you look at guys out there at, you know, at the end of the Led Zeppelin concert, who is looks like they're about ready to fall over and die, right? Or, or, or Keith Moon or whoever it is. And it's, it's the energy and the power that goes into that. And you have to keep through that through the whole performance. Because at, at any minute, if you're in flat, you know, the inflection or the tone or the sound or the power of your your strike that is it changes, everybody hears it. It changes. That's focus. So little things you can do to improve on your focus is, is you know, identify uh, the five worst things you do, right? Let's say whatever whatever you do, maybe it's a you know a combo or it's or or it's a, you know one particular uh, symbol or whatever, and the crossover. I, it was so funny. I 
I, I, I there's a great commercial out there that talks about Ringo Starr's uh, new album that came out, and they did this beautiful and Dave Grohl's in it, yeah. and all these great drummers and. And they all talk about Ringo Starr being as this kind of lackadaisical, like whimsical little drummer. And I, they talked about he had this one weird kind of opposite high hand crossover where he'd come across his whole set. And it was a very simple pattern. But yet you're watching these guys kind of do it. And they look all confused or whatever. So, you know, my set is pick that moment, that moment for you and literally pick a day. And do it over and 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 over again. And then take a break, have a sandwich, and do it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And to the point where you you break yourself of, wow, this is horrible. I hate this. This stinks. I can't stand this. That has to go away. Because, you know, you know, really being able to become, you know, exquisite at at your passion or your dream or whatever, you have to become just you know, learn not only embrace your fears, but you have to become like you like discomfort, like you look forward to it. I mean, you you, you know, you, people ask us. I I I ask in one of my talks that I give, uh, my team life talk. You know, I I tell the story of Mike Monsoor, and who was a Navy SEAL in, in 2006 that was in Ramadi, Iraq. And this young man, he was in his first deployment downrange. And Ramadi at that time was a, a hellacious place, most dangerous place in the world. They were getting in firefights 85% of the times they'd walk out the wire. And and they went out on this one, and, and um, uh, he did an amazing job. He was put in for the Silver Star, incredible. And so they, when the commander came back and said, hey, we need some volunteers – to stick around to do turnover with the Team 5 platoon that's coming in to teach them kind of the lay of the land, you know, I asked the audience, I go, you know, how many hands do you think went up? And inevitably, I usually get someone, someone looks at me kind of like side-eyed, and they're like, none? And I was like, no, all of them went up, right? They all went up. This is what we, this is what we love to do. This is our job. This is our profession. And and this young man's hand went up, and he ultimately got chosen as a new guy, which was amazing. Uh, ended up uh, doing a, a turnover patrol with this group. They got ambushed. He went up to this roof with uh, two snipers to protect them and watch their six. And an uh, insurgent threw a grenade up on the roof and hit Mike in the chest. And Mike, without a thought, jumped on this grenade and took the entirety of the blast, the grenade, in his chest and his face and ended up dying. Um, but he saved those two guys' lives. And kind of the kicker of the story was like right next to Mike was a stairwell. And he could have totally just dove down that stairwell and saved his own life, you know, and, and gone home. But he, he chose not to. His focus was so committed and he was so able to, with you know, subconsciously just embrace his fear and sacrifice himself for his teammates, because that's what we do. That's what we breed into, you know, our, our existence is that willingness to die and sacrifice for one another in order to, you know, gain the trust of each other so we can be as exceptional as we are on target or wherever we're going and do these crazy, crazy ops. And, and, and you know, so in those moments, you know, and in that moment in particular, you saw the ultimate focus, right? The ultimate commitment. Absolutely. Well, I guess that... that that kind of goes nicely into, uh, we're going to talk about, like, I, I always try to teach you are who you spend time with. You know? yeah. Iron sharpens iron, bud. Yeah, exactly. Iron sharpens man. 
iron sharpens iron. And uh, you are who you spend time with and having an amazing team around you. And that's why I encouraged everybody to spend an hour with yourself today because you're definitely a, an extraordinary person that we can all become better from spending time with. And I guess the value of surrounding yourself, you know, we're musicians, so it's going to be the band you surround yourself with. I always like to say be the worst in the band. You know, <laughs> be around people that are going to push you and bring something out of you. But it also is the friends that you have and the people that you choose to spend time with and who you call your team. There is no greater piece of advice, Chris, that you could ever give anybody ever. I mean, hands down. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've, I've been in, had some really dark times in my life where I was hanging around the wrong people that were creating the wrong influence. And, you know, the next thing you know, I, I've, I've been on a binger, you know, for for five straight days, right, and the same things, just driving my motorcycle from Miami to Palm Beach to Fort Lauderdale and just, you know, trying to kill myself ultimately with this destructive behavior. And, and, and it was really because I was too afraid to, to reignite that motivation to go surround myself against better people because I was afraid I wasn't ever going to be as good as anybody, right? And, and so that's critical, man. And, and if people feed that negativity – you will be negative, hands down. All right. I'm sure everyone in that room has had that person who is every time you see them, you know, they just give you a heavy dose of negativity and they expect you to build them back up, right? They want you to bring your energy and lift them back up and get back in. Chris, I bet you get it all the time because you're such a positive person, man, that people start looking for that. They feed it off of. And you know, I, I'm I'm blessed this is what I do for a living. I love that responsibility. I love to be accountable to that for, for people out there and, and but at, I I gotta admit at times man it gets heavy. You know, I, I just had a guy reach out to me, he's going a vet who's suffering real bad and you know, he, he's he's struggling. He's you know, he, he's he's on the brink, so to speak, and and, and I you know, it's just middle of the night text and me saying, Hey man, you know, just give me one more day, give me one more hour. Give me one more, you know, give me one more second. And, and, and when you start to understand that you, you can choose the people that are in your life. I mean, a lot of things in our life, we don't have a choice, right? Especially if you're in a band and you got to go play in a club. You don't know who's going to show up. You don't know what kind of a deal you're going to get. You might not even get any, any recognition or anything, but, but, but that's just part of it, right? But you can surround yourself, your inner circle, right, your fire team, your platoon, your swim buddies, those people need to be 100% committed to you and you them. Because if there's any of that disparagement, and there will be unevenness, but if if you're just feeding somebody and nobody's giving you that, that spirit of life, then man, you're just wasting your time. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to just suck you dry, right? And that's just not, that's not the way you want to do it. What's some of the best lessons you've learned from your, your mentors? Because we have, there's a picture on my studio wall, the drum teacher lineage, and I have great, uh, I've had great teachers in my life, and I'm glad to include you in that, but what's some, what's some great lessons you've learned from some of your, your mentors? Uh, the coolest thing about mentors, and mentoring is a huge component of what I preach out there, man, for sure. If, if you don't have at least five or six mentors right now, you're wrong. You're wrong, and, and it doesn't matter what age you are. It's so funny, man. I'll I'll get out there and, and I'll, you know I'll, I'll get in front of these you know big wig execs and all these people and I'll you know and I'll bring this question. I'll be like, hey, how how many how many mentors do you have in your life? And people will be like, well, I'm mentoring 
I'm, I'm mentoring lots of young, and I said, no, 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 Ann Hall, Ann Hall, you know, how many mentors do you have? Oh, I, you know, I, I haven't had a mentor in a long time since my father passed. Uh, Whatever it is, you know, everybody's got an excuse. But what it comes down to is, is our reluctance to take new ideas on board, man. So one of my newest members is this woman that I've, I, it's funny because I've been mentoring her son for 10 years and finally he just went through SEAL training. He's in his first platoon at his first team and, you know, he's just crushing it. He's doing awesome. And, and I realized that, you know, I, I had only had, you know, you know, random external influence from women and I start my, my, the, women, the amount of women who started following me recently has, has increased and I was like, man, I, I need to get dialed in. So I, I went to Maggie, this woman who's literally saved my life. She's a masseuse. She's a healer. She's amazing. And as well as my mom's life too. And we, she, she started working on me, but I made this change in the work she would do on me where I would open up from a completely different perspective, right? I shifted it. Instead of it just being the, the physical uh, healing that I needed when she put her hands on me, I opened up to myself, my heart to her, my spiritually to her, and asked her for help me gain a new perspective. And because of her influence, she's, she's opened up an entire new perspective for me on how to push information or push energy or to accept external energy, how to pace myself in a greater capacity, how to have more empathy in my in in, in the things that I and I typically have lacked empathy in and you know just opened my eyes in this huge massive world and I was like, my gosh, you know, you asked me ten years ago, hey, you ever gonna have a female masseuse who's one of your mentors? I was like, get out of here, you're out of your mind, get out of here, right? You know? big tough seal, right? I know. And the, the cool thing is, and this is what I, I, I share all the time, and I share this usually, you know, a, a lot with my the middle school age kids I work with is there's 7 billion people in this world. I mean, think about that. 7 billion people out there. Think of all the potential people that could influence you in a positive way, right? Sure, granted, we see the negative influences, all right, we gauge them, we judge them, boom, we sidestep them, and we move to the next one, and we whatever. But think about those people that you're willing to open up and make an investment in to prove to them that, hey, I find what you have internal, what you've experienced your life, I find it valuable, please help me, and ask them. And that's what the real challenge comes down to. We struggle with truly asking for something more comprehensive. We can ask Chris, hey, Chris, teach me how to better hold this rhythm or tempo, right? That's an easy ask. But it's very difficult to say, hey, Chris, I'm struggling with this con this part of my relationship. How, how could I use your ideas to help change this? Mm. You know, that's the tough quest because, you know, we one, vulnerability is a very difficult thing, but it really all resorts back down to being afraid and, and exposing yourself and sharing your life in a vulnerable way. Man, that, that, you've got to do that. If you want to make these huge step forward, you want to find that truth of life, and you want to start charging hard at whatever it is your purpose is, man, you have to have those strong, focused, determined mentors to, to get you through it because you just can't do it alone. It's impossible. One of my mentors, Jim, his name is Jim Blackley, and he had said, drumming, that's, that's the easy part, becoming a better person. That's the real, that's the hard work. <laughs> so. It's the greatest, greatest challenge we face in this life, right? I mean, when I went into SEAL teams, it, for me it was, it was this, this, you know, this desire to find whether I had what it takes, right? 
Did I have the grit? Did I have the perseverance? Did I, you know, was I able to succeed under extreme circumstances and environments? And it, it was a contorted sense of, of, of purpose, but it started me down this path. And, you know, fast forward eight years later, I discovered, wow, it had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with an entirely different part of my life, which for me was the spiritual commitment that you make to another human being in order to gain trust, right? And, 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 and for me to look across at one of my teammates and look them in the eye and say, hey, I'll die for you right now and have them go back and rut, you know what? I'll do the same for you. That's a massive thing right there. That's a massive. And sharing that with another human being. But, you know, fast forward, I get out of the military, I'm right back to square zero. I can't define myself within the construct of the SEAL teams, especially active duty. And I was, you know, I went into the abyss again, this free fall of who I am and what I am. And I had to start my search again. This time the search happened, I didn't have the boundaries of the military, the boundaries of the mission. I had to create my own mission, my own ideas, my own boundaries, my own definition. And what I've discovered now that, that those things, those ideas, that path, that rhythm, all this stuff, the only person that stops it or inhibits it or, or cuts yourself short is you. And Chris said that when we first started, man. If you really are bound by nothing other than your own willingness to sacrifice for something bigger than yourself, and when you get that and then you start searching for the, the tools to be able to do that and to live in that space where it's it's bigger than you, stand by because you're not there's nothing that's gonna stop you. No negative insurgency on the planet, no combat of life, no nothing is gonna be able to stop you. No matter even if you get knocked back on your butt, you, you know, you're gonna get put your swim buddy, your mentor pull you back in and you get right back up and you march on. Well, my teacher used to say that the type of person you are is the type of drummer that you are. Mm -hmm. So there's that, that huge connection there. Oh, I, I love it. And, and what's unique is really drums is, is, is that's the quintessential, quintessential truth, right? You see when you see the the drummers that are just chill, right? The old I remember, you know, the old I'm a big fan of Miles Davis, and they'd always put some chill Miles Davis drummer in the back, right? And they'd let uh, John Coltrane be the crazy one, and then the, the drummer just be chilling, right? And then you look at these other places where the drummer, I mean, Travis Barker, man, Travis Barker, you know, I, I love Blink and all that, but you know, for me, it's it's you, you look at the transplants, and that's some of Travis Barker's best stuff right there. I mean, I, I I'm a huge punk rock fan, and that dude is just he. You watch him drum, and 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 then you see him, and you're like, there is no differentiation between who he is as a person and who he is as a drummer. Right. And and we 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 approach it the same way too in the teams, right? We don't say you know any. It was so funny. So there was a point in training where I passed something and nobody else passed. So I, that night I figured I'd go out and have a couple beers where I, I picked the bar that all the instructors were at. So, you know, I bought them all drinks and I they, they let me in and I, I got hammered the next day for it. But I had the opportunity to sit down with this one guy, Brian, and, and I'm like, and another guy, Keith, and Keith's dead now. But And I was like, you know, Brian, Keith, you know, what advice do you have for a young frogman? They're, they're like, well, they're like, right, learn how to turn it on and off. And I was like, what do you mean? They go, you, you know, everybody always says you got to be able to separate work from your life and, and they got to be separate. I go, well, you know, how have you guys done it? And Brian's like, man, I've been in 14 years and I have no idea. 
<laughs> and, and his whole point was there is no separation. You know, a, a frogman, a seal, we're sealed 24-7. That's it. That's who we are. That's our definition. So whether you want to be a drummer, ultimately, and that's your profession, be a drummer comprehensively like Chris. If you want to be a teacher, be a teacher and teach. If you want to be, you know, whatever you choose to be, the, the, the reality is that you have to invest everything that you got in it in order to gain any real traction or momentum where you can ultimately attach purpose to that. Absolutely. I wanted to do this at the beginning, but could you just share uh, in, in a capsule like your story, just for the people here that, uh, that, that don't know your, your, your story? And then, uh, and then also we're going to go, I don't know if everybody knows this, but we're going to go around the room and just, just shoot you a brief question. So everybody here start thinking of what you're going to ask David, but uh, go ahead. So, so for me, my whole life was devoted to playing football and just wanted to play collegiate football. That's all I care about. I was a quarterback whole life. I mean, I was a kid that threw 500 extra footballs every single day. That's all I thought about, all I cared about. I just love football. And unfortunately, my senior year down here in Florida, we were 0-10, worst team in our school's history. We were horrible. So no schools looked at me. I did a fifth year of high school up in Connecticut at a postgraduate year and was able to get recruited to play lacrosse in college. And I ended up going to Penn State where I figured I would walk on the football team there because Joe Paterno used to love walk-ons. It was notorious for it. So I figured, Don, I'll get there. I'll walk on. I'll play. I'll be the man. Right? You know, the illusions of a young kid. And, and, uh, and I get there, and the freshman quarterback was a guy by the name of Kerry Collins. Kerry Collins was turned out at the time he was the number one recruited quarterback in the country from high school. He went on to be the, the number one Penn State quarterback in history. He played 11 years in the NFL, was in two Super Bowl teams. The guy was off the charts. And so when I realized that, instead of embracing that fear and just trying, just to say I tried or, or making the team and holding extra points or whatever role I could play, I gave up on that dream 12 years. 12 years of a really focused dream, I just gave it up. And so that spent me, sent me into the spiral downward, and I climbed into a bottle, a bottle of Jack Daniels, and I battled depression severely, you know, tried to commit suicide a couple times, um, really got into this dark hole of a place. Now, fortunately, in that time, I, I did invest myself into art, into poetry, into writing, and so I was able to broaden my perspective on on what creativity potentially could be. Unfortunately, I gravitated a lot towards very destructive creative people and thought that that was the, would enhance my awakening in some capacity, but it was just wrong, it was just stupid. And luckily though, for me in my fourth year, I woke up one Sunday, had a, went to the laundry mat instead of getting drunk or high, and I you know, started my laundry and I had an epiphany that I had to change my life. So it was in that moment um, because I, I usually would take a, a sketch pad or, or a, a, a journal with me, and I had nothing. I was empty. There was nothing there. So it was, I was ripe for the change or the, tr the transition. And so in that moment, I made the decision to drop out of school and pursue the self-confidence that I had lost, right? Because and I had always been – I was captain of all my teams. I was all that and, you know, always had the profound self-confidence, but I'd lost it all just so easily and maybe understand how fragile it was so like moving into my adult years I was like man I need to really fortify this so I picked the best kind of idea possible that I made sense to me in fact which was to 
joined the SEAL teams to regain it because I had always had self-confidence when I was a part of a team. And, and that was the essence of how I functioned. So what better way to become you know, self-confident is to join the SEAL team. So, but in that, I mean, the, the transition and the struggle was just monumental. And so, it, you know, fast forward, I ultimately got, at the end of my eight years, I became an instructor. And that's the place where I discovered this passion I have for motivating people because I was really, I, was, I only had one platoon under me and your reputation is based on how many platoons you've done. I only had one platoon, so I really struggled with that uh, internally and then was given some very motivating influence that they were going to take my trident and kick me out of the SEAL teams unless I turned my attitude around. And, and so I, I was able to get a couple great mentors uh, with guys I work with who taught me how to become a great instructor, but they, they gave me the, the, the space to really tie in my motivational strength into that. And what I began to discover is, wow, the human condition is, is a pretty pliable thing. And we each respond to some very, uh, there's some consistencies around the world culturally that inspire human beings to really push themselves and achieve and do great things in the face of adversity. And I was, so I started playing with those. And that's where I discovered this kind of passion for it. Um, you know, fast forward, it wasn't until uh, my second trip to Afghanistan when I was working for a private military contractor that I had an experience after we had hit a compound and I was doing counter drug work um, where I was able for the first time to let empathy kind of enter my heart in that country. And I saw these 30 kids in the compound and Afghan children are some of the most destitute children. I, I believe they're the most destitute children on the planet. Because when you think about Afghan kids, they really have nothing. I mean, they're, you know, teenage girls are basically receptacles for procreation. Teenage boys are used as sex toys for the men. Uh, they're beaten regularly. You know, there's no education. They don't have nutrition. They don't have schooling. They don't, you know, it, you know the, the whole culture is ruled with this iron fist, eye for an eye mentality. So it's really devastating. And so that hit me and I was like, man, I need to do. I need to change my mission in life, and had another epiphany, and that's when Frog Logic was born. And, and and you know, for nine and a half years now, I've I've developed it into you know what it is today, and you know, has been able to reach about a little over four million people worldwide. So awesome, awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, we'll start with uh, Mr. Roger right here. Um, just a quick one. Just a quick question. Uh, in terms of uh, focus, self-focus, then, uh, what what role would you say that diet or like nutrition or, or rest would play in that? <laughs> it, bigger than you can fathom. It's massive. Um, one of my close friends is is a strength and conditioning expert, but on, on a big big way. He spent uh, he spent twelve years. At, or, or 10 years at SEAL Team 6 and has over 450 combat missions. And this guy hit a point where he literally had been blown up so many times, shot, stabbed, helicopter crashes. Uh, he was sleeping about four hours all night. Uh, he was eating crap, drinking lots of booze, taking pain meds, all this stuff. He couldn't focus. He'd go driving. He'd forget where he was driving. He, he was a mess, right? 
So he had a background in sports physiology, and he went to uh, – they basically was like, hey, you know, we need to address this because these guys we're, – we're asking these guys to do these incredible feats, and we're not helping them recover or train or get them back, you know, healthy. We're just crushing them. So he went to Congress and, and gave this pitch and was approved for about a billion-dollar program. So spent the next 18 months traveling the world working with the premier – nutritionalists, sleep doctors, uh, sports scientists, you name it, he spent time with these people. And the way he describes it is if you want to understand how good you're going to be, look at your diet. It's that simple. If you are eating junk and not, you know, not caring what's going into your body and not picking great materials, then guess what? That's the quality of performance you're going to be able to endure. I mean, it is, you know. Now, if you want to perform mediocre or in a mediocre fashion or whatever, then then go ahead, right? Now, a lot of people say, well, I can eat garbage and still do whatever I want. And and I say, well, really? You know, uh, let's just, let, you know, let's talk when that finally catches up to you and you're done, right? Because it always does. It's not a question of, you know, when or if, but it's when. And so... You, you know, your intake is everything to performance, right? Especially when it comes to energy, clarity, uh, ability to remember, process. I mean, every scientist out there that's studying this stuff right now says that nutrition is, is fundamentally the, the, the essence of performance. Now, a, a, follow, a short follow-up to that absolutely is recovery, all right? And my this guy I told you about that I ran just recently participated with this Leadville 100 and you know, his whole thing was, you know, leading into this race was just to do recovery. So he'd run, he'd do these 30-mile runs, then he wouldn't just get right back out there and do it again. He would recover two, three, four days until his body told him, hey, you're good. Then he'd go do another 25-mile or whatever. So recovery is essential. Now, the key in recovery is don't just think about the, the exactitude of a, a sore elbow or a sore shoulder. But it's more so of, of uh, minimizing stress, great sleep patterns, um, you know, uh, um, you know, all these different components that you know are kind of encompassed in fatigue and poor performance. So think about recovery in its totality, right? And that you know whether you got to ice something or you got to heat something or you're taking you know anti-inflammatories or you're eating the, you know a healthy anti-inflammatory. All those things are relative. So those things play a massive role. And after 16 years, we've finally gotten away from the old school. Hey, suck it up and get out there, right? That's just, it's its stupidity is what it is, right? You wouldn't, you know, you don't, you, you talk about what, what some of the greatest performers on the planet, right? Adele, right? Adele is one of my favorite performers out there. Now, why is she so amazing? Because she takes such good care of her voice, right? She had that scare a couple years ago where they had, she had the nodules, and she took, like, what, six months. And the doctors were like, oh, you're good after three. But she's like, no, I'm going to make guarantee. So it's that capacity to, to, to recognize how critical it is and not just blow it off. Wow. Let's go to, thanks. Let's go to Dan uh, DeBazio. He's a huge fan of yours. And he's awesome, Dan. joining us on Skype group call. Dan, take it away. All right, well, um... I know uh, you've talked about the uh, triad of, you know, uh, to live a balanced life, you need body, mind, and spirit. 
So uh, I guess my question is, you know, body, you can always go jump on the monkey bars or do something for that. Mental, you could do some logic puzzles or, you know, go do some practice. But spirit is something I've never actually really done a lot of thinking about. And I know you've kind of touched on it with the uh, mentors and, and things like that. But what would you suggest to uh, really explore and grow the spirit? Awesome question. For me, this was the missing link for, for, for me my whole life. Um, you know, I, I've ultimately morphed into being a pretty dedicated Christian. You know, I'm not a Bible thumper. I don't whack people on the head with my Bible and, and quote, you know, the Gospels all the time. But it's a huge part of how my daily routine goes. So one of the easiest ways you can do it, Dan, is just one is, and, I, and, I, and it's funny, you know, it, I start every day and end my day with this thing I learned from the guy who owns Paul Mitchell and Patron Tequila. What's his uh, Paul, what's his name? Uh, but I, I read this in some magazine, something. They asked him, what do you do every morning and every day before you go to bed? You know, when you wake up and go to bed. He goes, I spend five minutes and I just give thanks. Just five minutes. He just sits in his bed. He wakes up. He doesn't jump out. He doesn't rush. He doesn't pick up his phone. He doesn't turn on the TV. He just sits there and he just gives thanks. He gives thanks for everything he has. He gives thanks for his family. He gives thanks for you know, all, all the greatness in his life, all that. And then as soon as he's done and that five minutes is good, then he gets out of bed and goes to the thing. And then right before he goes to bed, same thing again, five minutes, you know, gets that focus. So what it really ultimately becomes, and, and when I did the research on with fear um, and the triad component prior to that with, you know, all the different warring cultures and other cultures out there, uh, trying to figure out what are the main focuses the everybody fo you know the human condition needs to be tuned with in terms of that balance and it's a moment you know it's a it's a driving balance it's not a stationary balance either um, is that spiritual so it's a conversation when you take a step back and, and you look at you know all the prophets you look at uh, all the great leaders, you look at all the great, I mean, heck, dude, look look at Descartes, man. Dude spent 10 years in the woods just talking to himself in this conversation to figure out, I think, before, uh, therefore I am. I mean, come on, 10 years of per introspection, and I think, therefore I am. I mean, it's profound. Don't get me wrong. That's huge. But come on. But it, it they all go back to this conversation. So what I say in terms of the spiritual conversation is, what I've seen around the world, what it ultimately enables people to pull through very extreme, difficult situations is faith. Now, it doesn't have to be faith in a particular religion or a particular whatever, but it's faith in the possibility of it getting better. You just believe in your heart that if I just come tomorrow with a positive attitude, it'll get better. So you start to have faith in that and that you, you know, and you start to see it happen. You know, the more you project a positive attitude towards other people, you'll see goodness come back to you, right? The more you pay it forward to people with kindness or empathy, it'll come back to you, right? And it might take a little while to get going, but then it starts going, and then they'll have these huge moments of this, 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 you know, this, this giving back. So that conversation and faith, and really to put yourself out there, Dan, in a way that says, hey, there's, it's bigger than me. It's not just about me. It's, it's, you know, for me, it's, it's my two little girls. For me, it's my wife. It's my parents. It's my brother. It's my close teammates and friends and brothers. It's you guys on here right now. Right? Tonight, I'll go home tonight, and I'll pray for all of you. 
and I'll pray that whatever you guys heard, whatever component of my message got through to your hearts and you said, wow, there might be some truth in what he said. Maybe I'll think about it a little bit more. I mean, that's all I care about is just that each one of you will think about it a little bit more. And, and, and if, if that happens, man, it strengthens my faith and it strengthens my belief that, hey, what I'm doing for a living is real and it's meaningful. So just start with that conversation. And, and, and if it is God for you, you know, just talk to God. And, and you, can, you don't have to be a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew or Hindu, anything to talk to God if God is something that you do believe in. You know, if you don't believe in God and you struggle with that huge jump, then, then you know, give thanks or, or pray and have faith in the people who've gotten you to hear. Pray in the people. You know, another big one, and this is really the greatest thing that we have at our disposal, right? And I, and I share with you that story about Mike Monsoor. And, and, and think to yourself, why did he do that? Why did he jump on a grenade for his team? Because he loved them. Pure and simple. No other definition, no other nothing. He loved them. It's the, it's the only, it's the most powerful thing that you've been in. And guess what? It's, it's a more, it's a greater part of you than fear is, right? We're all predisposed to love one another. Many people look at the craziness in the world right now. They're like, ah, oh, we hate each other. We're horrible. We're killing each other. All this stuff. But, you know, the overwhelming majority of the 7 billion people are showing each other love every single day. Now, have faith in that love. Have faith in here, – here one is even on the simplest. I know you love that dog, don't you? Yes, sir. Right? Put your faith in how big and how strong that love is in your dog and try and transfer it to someone else, maybe someone you've never met, somebody who needs your help, a poor person, somebody in your family who's struggling, and start praying to that strength and that love to project that out in order to make it be not about you, but about something else. I mean, that I know in my dog, I get home, I've got this 100-pound Rhodesian Ridgeback, man, and, and I get home and I just grab that dog and I look him square in the face, I close my eyes, I put my head on his, and I tell him I love him in my mind, and I hug him, man. And, and that's pure love because when he looks at me and he gives me that, you know, he, you know he, he even tries to hug me. He puts a little paw on me when yeah. I get home and he tries to hug I'm like, why does my dog hugs me? That's crazy. That's love, right? So that's something that you can initiate faith in. And if you really dig into it and you, and you open up your perspective on other things, right, and you, and you start finding those me other mentors, you know, who, who, who have that profound faith, who have that profound spirituality, you know, hear what they have to say and then start the conversation in, in those terms and check that out. But man, there, there's a lot of ideas that, that flow out in this world that are really positive, that can make you a better person and certainly make you a better drummer if you just tap it. That's amazing. Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome, Dan. No one does it alone. I want you to join a community of like-minded drummers that are going to push you to become a higher version of yourself. No one does it alone. We can't lone wolf it on this journey. We need to connect with a community of like-minded drummers. So I want to meet you. I want to hear about how we can turn your dream into a vision. Join me at chrislesso.net slash LTR. chrislesso.net slash LTR. Join the community. Let's do this and become our best selves through drumming. That's amazing. Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome, Dan.
What would the most important thing to remember be as a kid with an anxiety disorder? Uh, awesome one. Awesome one. So for sure, hands down, you're not alone. All right? That is the most essential thing that you have to understand that what you're going through, although it's unique to you and how you process it and what spikes it, what doesn't, what might send it into depression or wherever it is, you're not alone. I mean, you know, there there are literally hundreds of millions of people that battle anxiety every single day. They just have learned kind of their own little unique system to deal with it, to reset it so it doesn't grow into a, a bigger fear, a fear that inhibits and stalls and, and stagnates and, you know, creates a, 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 a heightened a paralysis through analysis or however you want to describe it. So... The big thing is to just recognize you're not alone. You're not by yourself, right? Other people are dealing with it. And then to think back, yeah, I'm telling you what, I still deal with it sometimes too. I get in those moments where my PTSD comes back. I got to take a little break. I'll go for a run and that clears it out and I, I'm good and then I can re-engage. Um, the big thing that I, I started, why I always started with and how the whole Frog Logic kids started and, and those kids in Afghanistan was to recognize that confidence is key for you right now, especially moving into 15, right? Because you've crossed over that threshold of, of you know, that real kind of growth period for logical development where your logic kind of formulates and you kind of get cause and effect and you understand all that. Now you're moving into who, you know, the early stages of this next transition, which will be from really 15, 16 to about 26 years old. And, and, and once you hit that point, then you're kind of like, Woo, all right, I kind of know who I am now. <laughs> and it's a long period of time, and there's a lot of stuff you're going to go through. But guess what? That's the beauty of it. Um, and really to work on your self-confidence every single day and to have those tools that when your self-confidence takes a hit, maybe you get into a social situation and you're uncomfortable and you don't know what to say or do, and then you're like, ah, and you take off, right? That fight or flight hits, and you get out of dodge or – you get into a confrontation and, you know, you lock up and you can't, your prefrontal cortex shuts down and you can't process and you're like, uh, 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 you know, all those moments. Have some of the tools, like something that you can tap into that gives you confidence, right? Maybe it's just the thought of knowing, well, man, you know what? I'm a, I'm a badass drummer. And, and just that thought alone switches you back into that moment of empowerment. Right, because one of the problems, and, and, and I'm actually getting ready to release my third kid's book, which is all about anti-bullying, um, is about bullying and anti-bullying book, um, is one of the researches I, that I found is the spike of bullying shoots up in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, you know, kind of middle school, then kind of tapers back down, drops, drops, drops. But guess what? You know, the, the concept that people use intimidation whether it's physical, mental, or spiritual to one another, it never goes away. You never get to hit this point where there's this nirvana, this place where you can isolate or insulate yourself and you're ultimately protected from you know, manipulative people. Now, the, the, the way you deal with that, in essence, is you create this foundation of confidence that you can always rely on. And, and the cool thing is once you get these, these baseline tools, you just have them evolve. Because I'll tell you what, right now, the, the person you are right now, 15, is not the person you're going to be at 21 or 26 or 45, right? You're going to keep evolving. 
that's the beautiful part of the human condition. So be, you know, be excited that guess what? It is new. It is, it, you know, you, it is, oh my gosh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. It isn't. Get in, involved in that and say, wow, all right, this is kind of the cool aspect. It freaks me out a little bit, but I have these motivational triggers, this maybe one song. I remember for, for me, here, here big, big, every time my first deployment downrange in a combat zone, uh, every time before we'd go out the door, I, you know, I'd do my whole systems check. I'd make sure my gun was good, my kit was good, my, my medic stuff. I knew the, the comm plan. I knew I, I'd get every, all my stuff, go through everything. Then I'd sit down in my chair in my, my, my tent that was, you know, dust everywhere and sand and all this. Sit down, I'd put on my headset, and I'd put in Jane's Addiction, Jane Says, right? And I would listen to that song, and when Perry, Farrell, Perry Farrell's voice starts hitting, man, it just brought me into that space of confidence. I don't know why it's that song. I don't know why it was that song. It was the mood I'm in. Now I look, uh, I listen to a lot of explosions in the sky, right? That gives me a lot of confidence. I, uh, uh, I, you know, all these other kind of, you know, these motivational triggers I'll tap in. That'll reset my confidence, and then I'll kind of, I'll start taking those little steps again. The, the key for you to recognize is. The, your perception of pace in terms of your development as a person does not need to be in hyperdrive at all, ever, right? All you need to do is take a little step every day, mm-hmm. and that's the place you're in. And be confident in the step you take. And if you get knocked back a couple steps, take a minute to reflect and say, well, why? What knocked me back? What was it? Was it how I perceived this this thing, this event or whatever? Or is it really there's some truth to that? Or maybe it's my fears getting in my way. So just pace yourself and recognize it's going to be slow and gradual. But thank God that's the way it is right now. Because as you get older, it just speeds up and speeds up and speeds up and to where it's flying at you like this. And you're like, well, you got to put the brakes on sometimes and just be like, take a breath and then get back in. That's a great question. He is a badass drummer, by the way. Brother, let me tell you what, you know. Music is absolutely, you know, one of the challenges that I, I have in my life is that I can't play a lick of music. I love music more than anybody you'll ever meet in the planet and just passionate about it. Like, I, I'm the guy that'll be in the, the random dingy bar. There's four other people, and I'm locking it out on, at my table, you know, going nuts. And, you know, everybody else is like, what are you doing, weirdo? And I, that's me because that's I, – I just feel it. You know, I just – I get excited. So the fact that you can create that, that you can share that with other people, that's empowering you. Yeah. And so just stay in that, for confidence, stay in that place. Yeah, music's your, your thing. That's great. Joanna, do you have a question? I do, actually. It has to do with teams and teamwork. Yeah, speak up. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, what do you do on, when you're on a team? Because I know Navy SEALs, you must have all sorts of teams. There's always one person who's not quite carrying their weight. So, like, what, you, what is the rest of the team? What kind of strategies do you have for people like that? Yeah. So, so the, there's a bunch of different ways you can approach it, right? The, the way, the way. Thankfully, with us, it, it's very easy for us to deal with it. If, if you're not pulling your weight, everybody's going to let you know, and they're going to let you know in a very significant way, and you get maybe one shot at rectifying it and that's it and if you come back and you pursue it you're gone we just get we don't have time for it 
So we just we just cut that infection out, stitch it up, bring a new one in, you know, implant it, and we drive on. We just can't we can't allow that because that is potential for people to die, and we just can't do it. Are they out there? Hundred percent. Is it a challenge? Yeah, but we just have a, a system in place that allows us to 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 get cut those cancers out. In normal life, I got to tell you, this is one of the most common questions I get everywhere I work, with every team, with every group, whether it's a professional sports team or it's a you know C-suite from a company. You know, everybody wants to know what do we do if we get this one bad apple. So what I always think is is you know create one, find out what the standard or the baseline approach is for the organization or team you're working in with, right? If it's a, a, a corporate thing, you know, find out what at HR, what are the what are the left and right lateral limits that are in place. So if a person goes outside those, how do you counsel them? How do you do go through that whole process? Know those. Then as a collective group, find out the real truth of what everybody's feeling. And don't just go on the fact that this guy annoys the hell out of me because you might find that like 80% of the team think he's hilarious or she's hilarious or they like it. They don't mind it. They're kind of funny because they work hard, you know, whatever it might be. So get a good consensus. Hey, I'm really seeing this in the right level. If it is a consensus, then come together after you've initiated kind of that process and say, hey, let's take it through the, let's first address the person, you know, and not in a confrontational way, maybe one at a time, a talking to, you know, talk one day and then four days later have another person sit down and just, you know, approach it from a very, you know, kind of low-key or covert way. And if the resistance is still there and the, the, the behavior is still pr pronounced, then consider coming in a bigger group and saying, hey, listen, we just want you to know we, we would prefer if you didn't do this. And try and be as specific as possible so they can know what they need to correct. If they're just an idiot all around and no matter what, then go through, right? And they're there, right? Driving me bonkers, driving us nuts. If they're just idiots, then take a step back and say, all right, go to your chain of command and say, listen, this is what is, make sure you have a very clear cut uh, history of what they've done specifically. Don't do the he said, she said nonsense, none of that. Hey, on, on April 15th, 2014, that this person said this in front of this person, this person, this person, they'll verify it. They did this to me. They cheated here. All you know, have that very dialed in. Take that to you know whoever's in charge or lead and present a case to get rid of them. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to let that person linger because they're just feeding off. Some people just have a sense that they they don't know who they truly are. And so what the easiest way in life to do is to create chaos because what when you when you press chaos out. There's going to be feedback, right? Automatically. Like if I if I if I inject some kind of fear in somebody, like I point my gun in someone's face, I'm going to get a reaction. Period, right? So people bring that to the table because they're not sure of how to get different reactions. They've been doing it so long, they just don't know their behavior. They're really obtuse to the the, the reality of, of how they're acting. Maybe they're trying to uh, hide something else that's going on, or maybe they're just idiots and they just like to do it, right? They, they, they get off on that kind of thing. And that's just, it is what it is. I mean, you know, the whole statistic that there are four, two to 4% of the population are sociopathic or psychopathic. 
I think that's bogus. I think it's a lot higher than it is than that. I think it's around you know eight to nine, maybe ten percent, because you, you you just see so many of these attitudes out there nowadays, and and, and you know people just are they're they're less you know we don't live in a time where people are. Are, are, are constrictive of their, you know, conscientious that people are just like, screw it, I don't care, I'm going to be me, you don't like it, go and get out of here, right? Negative, we don't like you, and you're out of here. That's So the best idea is, is to approach in a way, because it's really not about ultimately changing that person, that person needs to change themselves, but it's putting yourself through the process, so at the end of the day, when that person loses their job, they leave the group, they're out on their own, they're off by themselves, you feel better about the process and how you handle it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that, that's my answer to that. And there's some other there's some other tactics and techniques that you can use, but th those in, in, in the generals are, are kind of the best approach that I've seen that works. Well, when we play in bands, we've got to deal with that. So. Tell me a little bit about thinking process under stress, underwater, that may be unique that you have to learn in the discipline of being a frogman and how that relates to, you know, some of the challenges that are common to people. You know, is there something there that we don't often get the chance to learn because not often many of us are underwater? Absolutely. Great little little thing that you guys can do is pick a, a three-minute song that just wails on the drums, right? And get ready, sit down on your drums, and give yourself a, a good minute of regular breathing, just nice and easy. And then right when you're ready to go, hit your stop clock, take a deep breath, hold your breath, and rip through that whole song while you're holding your breath. And watch what happens to you, okay? Watch how your prefrontal cortex starts to shut down, your limbic system activates, your, your amygdala starts firing, you start your heart starts racing, you start getting even more. I mean... So that's what we do right from the get-go with all the underwater things we do. And, and we do that because we operate underwater. I mean, we do some pretty wild things uh, with LAR-5 or the Dreger uh, rebreather system. And, you know, we do these incredible four-and-a-half-hour dives underwater across huge distances and, and freezing cold water. And, and the idea is that, again, it goes back to us. This is life and death, right? If you get under a ship somewhere and you're planting a bomb and you freak out because your regulator goes down and you don't just stay calm and start body breathing with your buddy and you pop up the surface and there's four guys with AKs and grenades, you're dead. So for, for us, it's this gradual process of, of, of the repetition of doing your drill above water so many times that it's just second nature. So then after you go underwater and the, the, the hypoxic effects of, of, of not breathing start to take over and, and do what it does to your brain, just from muscle memory, which is kind of not a true term, but there's some, it's easy to understand, you can just perform the skill in a way where you're not going to get distracted by the fact that you're going, <laughs> you're doing the funky chicken. So... Um, Great. There's there's a lot of blogs out there on on um, uh, free diving, right? And they're great free divers of the world. One of the greatest free divers out there can do six, 15 and a half minutes underwater, right? He went down. And I think the world record is 687 feet or something. Now think about that. Think about the magnitude of that depth 
he slows his heart rate down to about eight beats per minute before he gets in the water. And then he goes down 687 feet, but he's got to come back up 687. That's a far, long way down there. So really it goes back to that whole focus thing we talked about in terms of, right, you know, that, that, that guy is notorious for literally, um, you know, thinking down to the molecular level. Like when there's, there, he talks about he actually, he actually can feel his ventricle contract. Right? He gets that down to that level. He can feel his atrium contract. He can feel the blood pulse through his carotid. Right? So when you can be that attuned with your, your, your environment, which is you, your first line of environment is you, right? And, and controlling your focus, your mind, and then project that into the operational environment, the external operational environment, now you're, you're tracking that's like when you go into a drum set, right? You go into a, you play with a band. If you doubt the fact that you don't know that song inside and out, like every single thing, no matter what, then guess what? You're you're gonna have the doubt, and that changes the environment. Or or let's say you break your stick, or your your drum isn't tuned right, or how are you gonna change it? Does that distract you, or can you keep you know can you power through it? All these things are, are aspects that we learn to operate while we're uncomfortable because every environment we operate in is uncomfortable. So the, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Embrace the suck. Embrace it. the suck. <laughs> Absolutely. And lastly, we have Mr. Kwaku. Right. Um, I think it's actually kind of cool that you were just talking about that uh, that last example about being underwater and, and going back to focus again because um, um, my question is really, um, it, it's so easy to get into sort of like a autopilot mode, um, you know, when you're doing things and especially when you've done them over and over again, you're just thinking about like driving down the highway and not even remembering anything that's happened between the hour that you started the hour that you started to go and, and uh, you know, your, your final uh, uh, finish point. Uh, what does it take and how do you develop that level of focus um, that allows you to uh, make sure that you don't go into autopilot mode? Uh, I work with spreadsheets a lot. <laughs> one of the things that it's, it's, yeah, happens to me a lot is I go into autopilot and I'm doing things and, and it's a recipe for disaster. So uh, how do you maintain focus and how do you stay focused the entire time? You know, like sometimes you gotta, you gotta that's a great question. You gotta break that chain of monotony. Because really what's happening is you're you're becoming lazy. And and that's what it is. You're allowing you're allowing the consistency and the rhythm, right? And what what's one of the cool things about rhythm in, in drums? One of my favorite things is to get around those huge drum circles right where everybody starts and you start hearing those rhythms come out and if people get in that trance like state and you know you 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 watch powwows powwows are one of the coolest things that have ever been done and those guys are, ah, 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 and that that and it's just pounding and those dancers will do those ghost dance or the sun dance they'll dance for days in that rhythm right now that's not really the place you know that that's that's a that's a that's a that's a it's a different state when you're in the other state where you're just like oh this sucks oh I gotta do another one and, and and the monotony's pulling you away from the excitement you have to break contact you have to literally just separate yourself 
turn your something that you do normally upside down, right? Flip it around. One of the biggest ways to do it is just to, um, to, to get out there and crush yourself physically, right? That, that's a good way to just jar you out of your norm, right? Go test yourself in a physical challenge, right? If you maybe you work out three times a week, you know, one morning wake up at zero five and go for, you know, an eight mile run. Or, you know, if you're, you're used to eating at the same spot, spot every day, you know, just forget it. Go get in your car, drive, and the first place that you see that pops an interest, pull into there and do something exciting and new, right? Change the monotony of your daily routine. Break it up. Flip it on its head in a capacity. And that way it'll, it'll reconnect you to what you're trying to do. Now, the other problem is is when you're really involved and, and you're just banging it out. For me, it's video editing, right? I sit in front and I got to I gotta edit a video and a piece of a video, and I'm going down to the second on some other. Right, I'm going to change it right before I raise my hand here. Oh, maybe here, maybe here. You know, you're just it's, – it's stupid how long it takes. It's crazy, but it's part of what makes great video, right, or great movies. That's why editing takes twice as long as shooting the movie takes. and. Uh, and, and sound, right? And when you get that perfect, how long does it take to edit that perfect sound? I mean, well, the microphone, you know, the microphone needs to be, you know, another inch away. We got to record it all over again, and then we got to master it, and then we got, you know, I mean, it's just nuts. But, but you have to be able to reset yourself from that kind of thinking, right? The monotony thing, the trance-like focus, awesome place. That's the zone. The monotony thinking, just flip something around real quick, sudden, change it, get up, you know, go do, uh, sit, you're sitting at your desk, just stand up and do, you know, do do 25 air squats, just like that. People will be like, what the hell is he doing? But break it up, flip it, and then it'll re-engage it because, you know, that, that's how our brains function. They need a shot like that. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, David. That was that was just awesome. What a, what a honor to have this time with you. And I think we all really feel nothing but gratitude for your time with us. And uh, yeah, I hope to do this again with you. Awesome. No, it's been a, it's been amazing. You know, one of the coolest things, I mean, I, I like to say I have the coolest job in the world, right? And, and, I, and I used to get to jump out of airplanes and shoot guns and blow stuff up. But now I, I get to I get to interact with people from around the world and, and Never in my wildest dreams, Chris, did I ever imagine I'd receive an email from a guy who teaches drums as, as a structure of life, man. I mean, that's just cool to me. And so when Kat brought it to me, like, hey, I got this thing, this request, and, you know, I get them all the time from all different, everything you can imagine. But this one, I was just like, man, that sounds really, really cool. And it's been awesome, you guys. I, I really appreciate that you that you are uh, interested in it. it means the world to me, so thank you. Absolutely, well it's, it's, it's a first for you talking to drummers, and it's a first for us, connecting with, and, and it's all about the type of people we are, connections and what we do every day, and living with passion, and uh, we hope to do this again, and thank you for your service. You're welcome, yeah, thank you. To help people, and uh, we'll see you again, David, thank you. So you got it, take care you guys, best. God bless you. Thank, thank you. you. Bye bye. Thank you. Wow, guys. That was awesome. Uh